This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. We know you are super busy doing your 80th load of dishes at this moment, <laughs> but we would appreciate it so much if you could take just a quick break and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, Rom Crime. We love you, and now on with the show. <laughs> This is Rom Crime. This is our true crime comedy podcast that has romantic. <laughs> that was my tiger sound. <laughs> That's really good. Thank you. I'm impressed. <laughs> Mine's like, and that's not a tiger. That's a cat. Oh, but maybe like a tired tiger or like a baby tiger. There you yeah. go. Cause there's a lot of baby tigers in this. Yeah. There's just all kinds of people. Oh my God. Okay. So, hey, uh, some of y'all follow us and um, Avrin was so sweet to like uh, re whatever. Post about your shit, girl, because it's so good, you guys. If you haven't yet, you have to check out Vanya's new podcast. It's called Connecting the Thoughts and I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about it, but just do it. It's only been two episodes and I have found both of them to be exactly what I needed to hear. Oh my God. That is... Thank you for saying that. I honestly, I, you know, as y'all know, listeners here, I have a little anxiety and I needed an outlet so badly. And I was like, I need to connect with people. I'm feeling like kind of crazy. I just want to know how people are doing. I want to know how, how people are doing, you know, like what they're doing and stuff like that. So basically each, each episode is a different person. I'm trying to hit every state. I'm trying to hit as many countries as I can. So yes, please listen. I really appreciate it. I'm loving doing it. I'm loving doing it, but obviously rom crime is my first child and and I'm here and I'm ready and let's do it. (laughs) But we, we treat all our children equally. So pretty please you guys, if you um, are feeling 
you know, insane, like the rest of us and just like, oh, what is life now? You absolutely have to check out Connecting the Thoughts. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere that you can get a podcast. And I really, and I'm not just saying this because I love y'all. I love you. But it is, I could not recommend it more. It has just been, it's so cathartic to listen to it. You really, really makes you feel not like connected. Like you're not alone. Thank you. Which is great. What what we all need right now. That's what we're going for. (laughs) Yeah. How are you doing, Ab? What are you up to? You know, I'm doing good. I, uh, still trying to look. Like figure out this thing that we're now calling life. Right. And uh, one of the things that I've been doing a lot of is binge watching television because oh, yeah. what the hell else am I supposed to do? And um, I'm sure I am, you know, I know I'm not the only person who binge watched the show that we're actually going to cover as our rom crime tonight because we can fucking stretch and twist and make anything a rom crime if we want to. <laughs> but I have to say, Tiger King. <laughs> Tiger King. If you <laughs> haven't watched it yet, don't even fucking watch it now. Just listen to this podcast. Yeah. We're going to give you everything you need to know. You can be a part of all the Zoom happy hour conversations about how nutty it is. And it is just, here's what I'm going to say. So yeah. go with me on this. I think that in these weird, stressful times, my husband and I also started watching um, The Plot Against America, which is an HBO show based on the Philip Roth novel about like what would have happened if um, whole, uh, whole, sorry, it's Lindbergh. If Lindbergh had beat um, Roosevelt and America never went into World War II or interfered with Nazi Germany and like what oh. that would have looked like and what it would have eventually looked like in America for the Jewish community. And while it is incredibly captivating television show, amazing actors, it's, it's not as fun for me to watch because one, it feels really, really like on the nose about the America we do live in. Mm-hmm. And two, it just feels, it feels so real. And that same way that Handmaid's Tale felt a little too close yeah. to possible reality. I still haven't watched it. Yeah. I mean, it's so good. So I can't say don't watch it, but I understand why you haven't. I, I will. And so you will someday, yeah. like when your kids are grown and you're like, I want a good tragic cry, <laughs> scream at the TV yeah. year of my life. But I think what everybody's looking for is entertainment, right? Like things that just escapism a hundred percent things that pull you out of the insanity that is everything that's going on around us and the uncertainty of when it will ever change, when it will ever not be crazy. And we either want to be entertained or comforted, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people going back. I've rewatched The Office like a hundred times already in my life. I imagine I'm going to revisit that one soon. Yeah. But entertainment is the name of the game. Yep. And Tiger King is the kind of docu-series that the most creative, most off the wall, like who's the most bizarro director who like does like Quentin Tarantino or, yeah. you know, like the people that make movies that you're just like, where the hell did they come up with that? Yeah. They couldn't come up with this no. if someone like, if their life depended on it. Yeah. And then secondly, I'm just going to say this and you can call me cheesy as, as well because I am, but I think there is something about watching a series that while the focus is on the cuckoo bananas characters, it is mm-hmm. at its core, a show about how, captivity affects 
the soul of a living thing. And we mm. are all in captivity at this moment. We are all being forced to stay home, which we need to do. But it's, it's something that I think in a strange way, but maybe before all of this happened, I don't know that it would have had this. I think it still would have been a wildly successful because yeah. of the characters. But I think there is something extra about it because we're all kind of living our own version of being trapped in a cage. But I, I found myself, you know, it's so kooky. So oh why gosh. am I crying? Yeah. You know, like when I'm, I, I also really hate to watch animals being treated oh, badly. Oh, me too. Me too. Really can't do it. That's why I couldn't get through Don't Fuck With Cats. Yeah. Even though I knew there was like a great true crime murder mystery on the other side of it, I couldn't get through the videos of the cats. And luckily, most of the footage of the animals in this show, it's really, I mean, it's still unfair and horrible treatment because yeah. they're being used as props to make money the things they talk about that are done to them. I'm so glad they didn't show because I would not have been able to finish no, it. No. But anyway, that's my like I love it. Couch psychiatrist reason why I think this is the show everyone is watching and everyone is talking about. One, it's entertaining as hell. And two, we're all kind of cats in the GW zoo right now. Oh my gosh. Despite all my rage, I am still just a cat in a cage. Yeah. All right. Here we so go. Should we, we're going we to just get into it. All of it, guys. One episode every, or sorry, one rom crime episode every gosh darn Tiger King episode in one the entire episode. series. Okay. We're gonna so we're going to start with episode one, yep. which opens up to a man staring at the camera and he says, Animal people are nuts, man. And I might be one of them. I don't know but they're all half out there, man. They're crazy. The monkey people are a little bit different. They're kind of strange, but the big cat people are backstabbing pieces of shit. <laughs> that to me being like, taking the shoes off, getting the blanket. Wait, let's grab the wine. Let's get into it. So in episode one, which is called Not Your Average Joe, we basically get introduced to the cast of characters that will make up this entire insane story. At the forefront, is a man named Joe Exotic. He is the eccentric proprietor of the GW Zoo in, um, I think it's Wyndham or I don't know. In really Oklahoma. Think. It's in Oklahoma, you guys. Yeah. Um, it's a big cat zoo. And at the start of the documentary, we learn that he has been accused of hiring someone to kill his rival, Karen ba Carol Baskin, who is a so-called animal rights act activist and she has a big cat sanctuary in Tampa, Florida. So Carol Baskin versus Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic. So he, I'm, I'm mostly going to explain the first episode by kind of introducing you to all of the characters. So we're going to meet Joe. We're going to meet everybody who works with Joe at his zoo. So we're going to have um, John Reinke. He goes by Rink, and he is a manager of the zoo. We're going to meet Eric Cowie who is uh, the head zookeeper. We're gonna meet um, Kelsey Safari, who goes by Saf, and they are one of the zookeepers. We're also gonna meet Howard Baskin, Carol's husband, who describes his wife as, I think it would be fair to say that Carol is the mother Teresa of cats. They're weird, you guys. <laughs> We're also going to meet John Finley, who is um, Joe's husband. And they got married in 2003 when he was 19. He is an, a tattooed, toothless fella um, who is clearly not into dudes, but he is the husband of Joe Exotic. 
Who else do we meet? Hold on, I got other stuff. Oh, we're also going to meet Dr. Bhagavan Antel, who is another exotic animal zoo owner. He has, um, he, I think it's called like the Myrtle Beach Safari. That's correct. And um, so it's this entire wild cast. They're all misfits. Everybody who works at the GW Zoo has either some history of like trouble with the law, has, you know, some issues maybe with drugs. They're just kind of on that. They're outcasts of society. And he brings them in and they all run this zoo together with seemingly so much love for these animals. But at the forefront of all of it is Joe Exotic, a man who is described as a gay, gun-toting, drug addict, big cat fanatic. And if you don't know anything about him, um, I highly recommend you check out all of his music videos. So some of the interesting things that we learn in the first episode is that there are more captive tigers in the United States of America today than there are out in the wild in the entirety of the world. So let that sink in. There are more people keeping big cats as pets in the U.S. than are actually living in the wild in the, on the earth. That kind of blew my mind. I was like, really? God, like yeah. maybe my neighbor, my neighbor in this apartment complex might have a pet tiger. <laughs> I don't know. And another big kind of the central, I guess, conflict of this documentary is Joe versus Carol. And what's interesting is when we first meet them in this first episode, they seem like perfect foils for each other. You know? Yeah. Joe is like this redneck who loves his guns and blowing stuff up. And Carol's like this flower crown wearing hippie who seems to have an endless amount of time, like an endless amount of time and money to save the big cats because she never really had human friends, but the cats were always her friends. But as this episode goes on and we learn a little bit more about these people, it becomes pretty apparent that they're actually a lot more alike than they are different. And so let me just kind of lay that out for you. They both charge admission to go into their park. So his is the GW Zoo. What Carol runs is the Big Cat Sanctuary. It's a zoo. So they both charge admission for people to come into their parks. They both really like to stoke the flame of their rivalry to like rile up their fan base and get more followers on social media. And then I think most importantly, they both have a true knack for making low budget music videos about <laughs> tigers. <laughs> so hold on, I'm gonna make sure I, I'm on point here with my description. Okay, so another thing that's kind of brought up in the first episode is how, so Carol Baskin, you know, the mother Teresa of cats, mm -hmm. she is going all the way to Congress, y'all, in her full cat print outfits, Full cat, everything she owns, everything in her house, every article of clothing, it's cat print. And she is determined to stop the private ownership of big cats as pets, which I'm actually totally on board with. Mm -hmm. um, and then even more so stopping like the breeding of these cats in captivity than to sell them for a profit. Because one of the other things that we learn is that say you're one of these people that owns a zoo, a tiger cub is only viable as a, let's pass this around to all the children who came out today. And with no fear of anything bad happening, that is, they're only good for that for 12 weeks. That's crazy. I, 
I just feel like I want to lay that out there. So for the first three months of a tiger cub's life, all of the money you're going to make off that, if you're one of these motherfuckers who profit mm-hmm. off of, of mm-hmm. wildlife, is going to be in the first three months of their lives. Now, it also turns out that it costs somebody who's doing it right $10,000 per year per tiger just to feed them. That has nothing right. to do with like zoo upkeep, maintenance, making sure you know if they get sick, they get better. That is just literally to feed them. So when we find out that Joe Exotic says that it takes $3,000 per tiger per year to feed, we know that his cats are hungry. And Mm -hmm. that's just incredibly sad. Another thing that's like a, that they get into is like the late night talk show hosts and how, you know, Jay Leno and Dave Letterman would always have, you know, wildlife specialists come on and they bring like baby cubs and all this stuff. And Doc, Doc Antle of the Myrtle Beach Safari talks about how his animals, he's been on late night TV a million times. He has also, um, his animals have been in like tons of major blockbuster movies like Jungle Book and um, Ace Ventura. So it's a living, y'all. Also the um, Britney Spears with, with the yellow snake. I'm a yeah. for you. You actually see him in the video, like in the background, Doc Anto. Yeah, because that is his, that's his snake. And so it is, also, we find out like Shaquille O'Neal purchased two of his tigers that he owns from Joe Exotic. I mean, Shaq, don't mm-hmm. keep tigers. Bad. Just don't do it. So I think that kind of concludes the first episode. So All we know right. now Joe has been accused of putting out a hit on his rival, the Mother Teresa of Cats, Carol Baskin. And I hope I did an okay job of kind of introducing you to the majority of the colorful characters in this docuseries. I think oh, oh one more thing. One more thing. Sorry, couldn't possibly let this go. We are also introduced to maybe the greatest song ever written in episode one. And it goes, I saw a tiger, now I understand. I saw a tiger, and a tiger saw a man. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It's, that is in my head, like on the daily. It's okay. so good. So episode two, I love it. Episode two is entitled Cult of Personality. And this is where we're going to dive a little bit deeper into all these people that you have just like introduced us to. Um, Okay. So I'm going to start with a quote here. It's hard to explain the addiction of exotic animals. I felt it when I got a hold of tiger in my hands. When you're in a cage with six, eight month old tigers, there's just something very addicting about the feeling of power being around these animals. That was my Rick Kirkman impression. Okay, so. That was good. Thank you. Um, yeah, because he's, he's like, I can't tell where his accent is from. Sort of south, but he's been in Norway for years, so who the fuck knows? Um, apparently, he was like a late addition to this, the um, filming of this because um, they had filmed so much stuff. Anyways, we'll get into that. So the episode opens with Saf. Remember Saf? Saf gets their arm ripped off and the doctor is telling them they could have surgery and it could take some serious physical therapy, but it was possible they could have a functioning hand if they did so. So great, right? No. Instead, Saf takes the amputation option because they felt the need to get back to work immediately because they were worried about the reputation of the uh, Joe Exotic Zoo um, if they didn't go back. Interesting. It's feeling very but like. Also, don't you kind of feel like Saf is maybe the only like decent 
personally. I do. I do. Especially since watching the uh, episode eight that just came out, the new one, especially since the bonus. Oh, you are a nice person. Okay. So then there's John Ranke, like you said, who was the manager of the GW Zoo. And he was the guy who had no legs. He's got like, he's like, I got these cool legs, you know, because he's got these fake legs that have like, I don't know, cartoons on them and stuff. But he said people kept thinking that a tiger ripped his legs off, but nope, it was a zipline accident. Turns out working at an exotic animal zoo is just as dangerous as a zip, as ziplining. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? If my kids were Have like- no, I've never done. I've never done it, but I've never even thought of it as dangerous. Like I think of bungee jumping as dangerous. I don't think of ziplining as dangerous. But this motherfucker lose both your legs. Dangerous. It's a like, lose maybe both your break leg. your leg. Yeah, because he could he, when you know he was in a wheelchair. He started to walk, and then he was never able to grow muscle on his calves again. And so he was walking like twenty miles at the zoo. But anyways, eventually loses his legs, not due to a tiger accident, right? Okay. Next, we meet again, Bhagavan Doc Antel. This motherfucker, he's large and in charge with flowing blonde white hair and a disgusting blonde white flavor saver. He's riding an <laughs> elephant. It's so disgusting. I'm just like, barf. Um, I've never heard that expression. No. <laughs> I don't know why I have, and I'm sorry that I have. Um, no, thank so you. Thank He's, you, Vanya. You see him in his like compound riding his large elephant, just kind of like waving to folks. And then he walks into a river with it and starts to like bathe with it. And it's just like so weird. And, and the whole time he's like, you guys need a shot from here. What, what are we doing? You, what do you want me to do? You want me to sit with it? You want me to lay with it? Uh, this is when he's with his tigers. Just so b- fucking bizarre. Anyways, he owns Myrtle Beach Safari in South Carolina, right? Okay. He would lure trainees to his zoo and trainees are the people who are going to take care of all these animals by boasting a vegan lifestyle, saying that he combines yoga and meditation to train the animals. Now, I just picture, I mean, imagine you're in your senior year at high school and you're just like, God, I got to get out of this fucking town. And, and I mean, like picture every yoga loving vegan girl thinking their dreams were answered and like somebody who loved animals. So he got chicks, let's just say, or maybe he only picked chicks. Nothing is cooler, sexier, and more significant to the world we live in today than a tagger. It has this primordial calligraphy that tells a message just in its very image. Everyone loves them. Anyone who says they don't is just insecure and broken. I'm like, I'm sorry, what the fuck are you talking about, Doc Antel? I guess. Okay, so we learned from a former trainee slave, that's what I'm calling them, Barbara Cassidy. And I'm calling them like the trainers slaves here because from my research into cults, it seems that Doc Antle has coerced these women into working seriously inhumane hours. But anyway, former slave Barbara tells us that Bhagavan means Lord and that the girls slash slave trainers were encouraged to have sex with him to rise to his enlightened level like to his Shakti or whatever. Also, he likes virgins or close thereof. Very culty. Ew. I know. It's just, yeah, I'm like, ew. He's like, I think he's the most culty in my opinion. But anyways, um, but we will get into others. Um, Barbara, uh, let's see, what does she say? Oh, she's forced to get a boob job. And the only, she didn't want to, but the only reason she did it was because apparently you, after you have surgery, you get to rest for two days. And she was so fucking exhausted from working there. Like she'd been there for four years and she was just like, you know what? Yeah. 
I'll, I'll do it. So yeah, Antelt says that the only people who survive working there treat it as a lifestyle, but like, just like any good dickish culty motherfucker would. Okay. Also to mention, Antelt shows all their outfits. So you'll just see them. They're like just bad, sexy outfits. He controlled It's like dressing up as a sexy lion for Halloween or a sexy tiger. Yeah. Or like real booty shorts. And like, I mean, he definitely, he definitely was the, the central, um, it, I mean, they say a harem, but there's a reason because they were always sort of around him, you know, like, you'll just, just watch it, watch it. So Joe Exotic looks up to Doc Antel, of course, right, as a mentor, and he's created his own cult-like a- atmosphere at the GW Zoo. Joe says, hey, 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 he's got a little cult and I got mine. I get people right out of prison. But of course hiring people with no options can and he can easily pay them that way nothing and give them horrible living quarters but we should note that doc antel's sex trainer slaves made a hundred dollars a week while joe paid his workers 150 still shitty i mean i guess they're getting living they're getting like living quarters but still fuck off this is not like from 1950 where you can or 1940 where a hundred dollars a week is like woohoo oh no they are not yeah. So a couple other disgusting things I'd like to know. Joe would get expired meat from Walmart and let his, it would come in in a truck. He would let his employees pick out what they wanted and the rest were for, were for the, like, as you mentioned, stiv- starving tigers. The conditions were disgusting. And every time they show Bez, Joe's bedroom, I'm just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me. Sorry. It's just so gross. It's so like 90s. I can't. Ugh. Okay. So then we meet Mario Tabro, which is another animal collector who was a, a drug dealer from Cuba. He would um, smuggle drugs inside snakes, which is so sad. Like they would cut the snakes open, put the drugs in there. Nobody would check for the drugs. And if the snakes died, they didn't care, which is weird to me because in, in and of itself, I do believe that Mario does love his animals, but he has a huge uh, personal sanctuary, as he calls it. Then we get to Carol Baskin, and we hear, of course, her old, hey, y'all kill cats and kittens, like she says, which is Carol's way of signing on to her social media channel, which she has 2 million effing followers. She had more followers before Joe did. Like, she got it, which I think is crazy. She got into the game. Um, and by the way, it shows her, which I'm, like, fascinated by, saying, yeah, well, we get, uh, you know, every two weeks we get a paycheck for about 20 to 30 grand. Um, I'm like, Carol Baskin is a goddamn influencer and I'm fucking jealous. So she, of <laughs> course, <laughs> she owns uh, Big Cat Rescue, as we know, and um, down in Florida. And she ponders here, why do criminals like big cats? Because that's her whole thing, right? Like, I agree. Petting, the, the whole thing with like breeding the cats to pet and then after 12 weeks, they're like, not even necessary. It's messed up. So she says, she says, and other people have said and reported to her that, that Doc Antel, that Joe Exotic euthanizes the cats after they're of no service, but we don't know if that's true. Right. So I think in most cases it has to do with what Rick Kirkman is talking about. Like why do these criminals like big cats? It's, there's something very addicting about the feeling of power of being around these animals. So yeah. Then each, they kind of go to each one of these guys who own their own little sanctuaries or zoos. And they're like, yeah, but uh, Carol also, she's, she's not a good person. She's a shitty person too. She does exactly what we do, but she also killed her husband. So yeah, so all these dudes believe that she's nuts and she fed her husband to the tigers and her ex kids, I guess, think the same thing. They weren't her children, but yeah. 
And that's the end of that episode. Episode for stepkids. Step All right. And so then we're going to move into episode three, which is called The Secret. And this is the episode where Avern sits up from her like wine induced kind of giggly coma from watching this bizarre tale unfold and is like, oh my God, it's a rom crime. <laughs> so it starts in 1981. Carol was 21 years old and she'd gotten into a fight with her husband. She had to throw a potato at him across the living room just to get out of the house. And much like a cat, when Carol is stressed, she likes to pace the streets. So while she's wandering around the streets of Nebraska crying, 42-year-old Don Lewis notices her and he pulls up in his car and he's like, get in the car. I need someone to talk to. And she's like, uh, no, stranger danger. Hello, it's the 80s. So he tries three more times. And finally he says to her, hey, listen, I have this gun here and you can hold it on me the whole time. Just get in the car. I really need someone to talk to. So third time's a charm. She gets in the car. Lordy, lordy. <laughs> Don will eventually leave his wife and two daughters for Carol after a lengthy affair, telling them that she is an angel. Don's ex-wife Gladys retorts, she is an angel sent straight from hell and one day you will find out. Dun dun, that is what we call brilliant foreshadowing. So the newlyweds open Wildlife on East Street, which is a sanctuary. They open it with bobcats and lynxes that they bought from exotic animal auctions. Side note, Don Lewis is super rich. He never really talks about how rich he is, but it is estimated that he was worth anywhere from seven to $20 million. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Carol and Don, they disagreed about how to run their animal sanctuary. Carol wanted to collect cats and love and raise them as, as pets. And Don wanted to breed and sell them. So Don would often fly to Costa Rica to sell the cats. And when he was away, Carol would, as quickly as she could, spay and neuter as many of their cats while he was gone. And this is when the fighting between the two of them kind of escalated in their marriage. Also, another side note, it is rumored that Don had a girlfriend in Costa Rica, so they may have actually been fighting about that. <laughs> so Anne McQueen was Don Lewis's executive assistant, longtime confidant, and his power of attorney. So when he gave her an envelope with papers in it to deliver for him to file a restraining order against Carol, claiming that she had threatened to kill him twice, Anne knew something was seriously wrong here. Also, Don was eventually denied the restraining order on lack of any actual evidence of a threat. So in August of 1997, per Carol, Don was leaving for Costa Rica and he needed Anne to send him a few things there. He was going to be in Costa Rica, send some stuff. After being unable to get a hold of him for over a week, trying to figure out, you know, like, did you get the things I sent you? Where are you? You don't normally just go off the grid just because you're in Costa Rica. He is officially reported as a missing person to police. So here's where the shit gets like full rom crime. According to Don's family and friends, Don was planning on divorcing Carol and taking everything with him to Costa Rica. And if that had happened, Carol would have been left with nothing, no cash, no big mansion, and more importantly, no cats. So police searched the entire 40 acre sanctuary and their home and they found absolutely nothing suspicious. But they did find his van parked in the airport parking lot with the keys inside and a briefcase. So that's weird. Like, why would you go to the airport and leave your keys and briefcase, but then go ahead and get on the plane? So there were a lot of theories as to what might have happened to Don Lewis. Did his plane crash? Did it run out of gas over the ocean? 
did Carol kill him and feed him to the cats? Carol claimed that Don was showing signs of dementia and that he must have gotten confused and crashed his, his private plane. No one believed her. In a not surprising twist, it turns out that right before his trip to Costa Rica, Anne had been replaced um, on his will as the power of attorney by Carol. So here's where I think is like the most, the strongest evidence for the fact that girl knows something. Mm -hmm. If not directly responsible, she asked someone to take care of it without telling her the details type shit. So his new will starts off with all of the normal legal jargon like, I, Don Lewis, of sound mind and body, blah, 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 blah. But then the sentence ends with, in the case of my disappearance. Nobody writes a will being like, that day when I disappear in the future. So now his family is like, what the actual fuck? You killed our dad, and now you're trying to take all of his money and all of this stuff. So after five years of being missing, there's also, I'm not going to lie, because we're trying to keep this, you know, tight. There's something about her brother being like a police chief or a police oh, sergeant right. in the force and that maybe he helped her cover stuff up. They don't really go too much into it, but she did have a brother that I think was the sheriff or something kind of major. Interesting. So after, yeah. After five years of being a missing person, Don was officially declared, or yeah, Don was officially declared legally dead. And Carol kept 90% of his estate, giving his two daughters 10% under the condition that they don't bring up his disappearance ever again. So to you listening audience, I say, draw your own conclusions. Joe Exotic has definitely drawn his own. And I'm gonna <laughs> read you the lyrics from a song he wrote about it. This is called, Here Kitty Kitty. She was a rich woman. She had rich tastes. She felt the blood running through her veins. She liked the life she had. She loved her big cats and the beauty of being untamed. Everything was fine, just as sweet as wine but her husband went and disappeared. But then it got a little crazy, got a little hazy. And the cops oh, said, there's something wrong here. Oh, here kitty, kitty. Oh, mama's got some treats for you. Oh, here kitty, kitty. You can't find this taste in the zoo. Oh, here kitty, kitty. Oh, mama cares. Can I just say, like, excellent songwriter, Joe Exotic. Like, just so good. Oh and that God. concludes episode three. Good job. My God. Episode four is called Playing With Fire. And it starts with one, uh, one of his songs called Bring It On. I wake up, I go to work, but every day I get someone trying to slam me. And then um, he says, I use my, ass, my music as an escape from reality. I was talking to somebody. I'm like, so these songs are actually, you know, they seem like they've been on the radio kind of thing. It's like they sound so like every other country song to me in a way, you know, like kind of good. I'm like, that's kind of good. But yeah. And as totally. we know, it was not his voice. He didn't. Which I didn't really pick up on right away. But then yeah. today, like today, right before we recorded I was like I'm gonna rewatch the finale just to make sure that I have it all clear in my head yeah and watched a couple clips and I was like oh he's straight lip syncing <sighs> yeah yeah which is sort of like oh darn I disappointing yeah okay so here we are back with Carol versus Joe 
Joe's the cub abuser, right? So the, this is where I think Joe Exotic screwed up. All about the trademark infringement. Joe made his name so close to Big Cat Rescue. It, he called himself because he, he thought it would fuck with her because there's this whole thing with um, if, you're, if you search something on the internet and your name is close, it will pop up as well. So he was trying to drive traffic um, you know, online traffic from the internet to him rather than to her. So he changed the name to Big Cat Rescue and Entertainment. And it's like the same font. So, uh, you know, Carol's husband, Howard Baskin, is a, an attorney and was all over him. Then he changed his phone number um, with, with the same area code as Carol's Big Cat Rescue, but it was forwarded to his phone in Oklahoma. Joe also created 911animalabuse.com and you'd think it was something to do with animal abuse. No, it was like, we're looking for leads to anybody who might know who killed Carol's second husband. She killed him, you guys. Yeah. She killed him. I mean, she might have. She did. I'd love to know. You know what else I kind of love? I'd kind of love for him to just be in Costa Rica and be like, <laughs> I'm here. Just not that I want Carol to be okay, but I feel like what if Carol is just like a really sad like cat lady who, I don't know, maybe she doesn't have bad intentions, but it's hard to Stole say. Stole bajillions of dollars from the children of her former husband. Yeah, yeah. But they're for her children, the kids. Okay. Now we go to Joe Exotic TV. And this is where we see producer Rick Kirkman. Um, and he said, so all Joe ever wanted was to be super famous. He had his internet TV that Rick didn't give a shit about, but- they had a deal that if uh, Rick produced his internet shows, in turn, Rick was working on a reality series, reality TV series. Rick's producing apparently like really legitimized his uh, production. And he says, I'm Joe Exotic, the gay redneck with a mullet. I love that. <laughs> and I guess Rick coined the term Joe Exotic Tiger King. So then we see Tim Stark and Tim Stark tried to tell him to knock it off. He's like, you better knock it off. I don't know. Because he was showing himself basically killing Carol Baskin and saying that, what is that? Fuck a bitch, Carol Baskin. And he was obsessed with her because she was trying to sue him and get him out of business. Shut him down. Yeah, shut him down. So he becomes so obsessed with Carol Baskin and defaming her that his workers say that he starts neglecting his cats in his own zoo. And all the workers are really saddened by that because you can tell all of them are there for the cats. Everybody who comes across the cats love the cats. So the tra trademark infringement lawsuit was for a million dollars, which he lost, and she was going to collect, right? He found a picture of people who work for Carol holding dead rabbits, like with bloody rabbits. Apparently, the way Carol describes it is, this picture was... Um, these these gals were feeding their favorite tiger a whole rabbit because apparently they didn't get a whole rabbit. And they were just so proud and tickled by it. But to the way that Joe made it sound, it was like abusing rabbits, which I could see that too, you know? Um, and then, of course, Joe harasses her with pictures by taking her, putting her head on a diapered man and all sorts of things like that. So he loses, he loses the lawsuit, owes a million dollars, and you see him go... I, I'm not stupid. I don't own anything. And this is where I'm just like, what a fucking asshole. So we're back to the reality TV. They're negotiating with the ne network to sell the show. But then all of a sudden, the studio with all of the um, footage gets blown up, like seriously blown up. 
and Joe wasn't in town. He was at a funeral at the time it, and it was deemed arson. Like there, it was definitely arson and there was nothing left, no footage left. And Rick didn't back up anything. What a dipshit. And seven alligators perished in the fire, which is so sad. And his husband, uh, Finley, what's his name? John. John Finley was beside himself sad because he was the one who took care of those alligators. But here's the thing. Of course, Joe did it. I mean, one week before the arson, Joe and Rick have a fight and and Rick, Rick is like, well, I own the show and the footage. And Joe freaks out. He goes to the, his own lawyer and they're like, well, yeah, what, did you sign something? And Joe's like, God damn it. Ah. And apparently one of the main reasons that he killed all that footage was because if that got into Carol Baskin's hands, which allegedly Carol Baskin calls Rick and says, I'll give that to you for $20,000. But like Rick isn't stupid. He's about to make millions of dollars if he, if the show was sold on, you know, for reality TV. But, um, there was footage that would incriminate him because it had people who were not veterinarians, like administering, doing all veterinarian work. And uh, yeah, so because they had so many cameras, apparently there were never not cameras on because Joe was like, I want to be famous. Uh, and then after that happened, producer Rick went back to Dallas and had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. And it, they say that Joe, then Joe uses people on scams to get the um, alligator house and studio rebuilt. He pays some guy $8,000, which would have cost like $120,000. And they ask him, why did you do it for so cheap? And the guy was like, I don't know, man. I just, I wanted to play with the cats. Like, that's just like the answer for everything in the show. It's so bizarre. But the saddest thing is Carol Baskin goes after his mom because he keeps changing the deed, who has the deed to the zoo, who owns the zoo. Um, he keeps changing it because every time he changes the uh, name of it. They have to refile the paperwork. Carolyn Howard Baskin have to refile the lawsuits and stuff like that. But I don't know. I heard some other uh, reviewers saying that Carol was, you know, just a whore and just the worst person by trying to sue his parents. And but the truth is, is Joe did it to them. Like he's been siphoning off money from them. Anytime he needed something, he gets it from his mom. And there's just the saddest uh, scene where he's like, the mom's like. <laughs> She won't leave us alone. She's been harassing us. And I'm like, I think that's shitty, but I think your son sucks too. That's all. Okay. And then we enter the Hummer. I'm sorry. This one's a longer one because we got Jeff Lowe. Jeff Lowe comes on the scene in 2015. He had the persona that he was going to save the zoo as an investor. Um, apparently his grandfather owned like a menagerie and it was like kind of one of those old cool zoos that like would travel and stuff. I personally think he's a douche. Uh, he loved, uh, he loved ecstasy. He loved Vegas. He's a swinger and loves to have, have sex with the ladies. His partner's name is Lauren and they were just, you know, banging chicks. He would use the baby tigers to bait women. And he says, well, you know, a little pussy gets you a lot of pussy. <laughs> Yuck. Gross. You're disgusting. Ew. I know. They would roll baby tigers into their hotel room. This is in Vegas in luggage, in Louis Vuitton luggage, and have women come up and pet them because people just can't fucking not. I, I mean, one thing this show hopefully will do, if somebody's like, you guys, there's a baby tiger at this party, we should go. Everybody should be like, no, call Game and Wildlife or whatever. Joe was very excited to have Jeff because he had money and then who could finally back him and fight Carol, right? So Jeff had Joe to Las Vegas. They had rented a house. Apparently it was a huge, like, not a house, it was like a mansion. Little did they know he was behind on Ferrari pay payments and he was like just renting, not owning things, right? 
So Jeff, of course, was a swindler himself. But before Joe knew this, his lawyers suggested the name of the zoo be transferred to Jeff Lowe. So Carol and Harold would have to restart the paperwork to sue them yet again. And that is when the evil side of Jeff and Lauren came out. Jeff Lowe stole the zoo. What? Yep. And that's the end of the episode, right? Yep. Okay. So then we go to episode five, which is called Make America Exotic Again. <laughs> and I just feel like this is my favorite quote from the entire episode. This is an interesting, probably the most deeply upsetting, tragic episode from the whole docuseries. Mm. But man, if it doesn't have the best damn quote. So this is a reporter talking to Joe Exotic. Is America ready for a redneck, gun-toting, mullet-sporting, tiger-tackling, gay polygamous president? <laughs> End quote. So I also feel like somewhere in the mix, one of us glossed over it. I don't remember exactly what episode it was, but we know that, um, that Joe is married to John Finley, but surprise, he actually then took a second husband named Travis, and the three of them entered into a thruple, if you will, and so he is a polygamist. So this episode starts with basically Joe kind of getting conned out of ownership of his zoo. So now the zoo belongs to Jeff. Joe is still the face of the zoo, but it belongs to Jeff. So upon, you know, obtaining ownership of it, he immediately fires half the staff, brings on some of his own people. So he brings um, in a man named Alan Glover. Remember that name? Yes. Who is Jeff's um, good buddy who he brings in to work as a handyman. He also brings on board businessman James Gerritsen, remember that name, mm -hmm. who agrees to put in, I think, like $14,000 and they open up a pizza restaurant inside the zoo. So they're also <laughs> going to be able to like sell food. But then it turns out, according to the documentary, that like the Walmart expired meat bin is where they got all of the meat that they used to make the pizzas. So Ew. I can't imagine it was all that good. So now that Joe is no longer running the GW Zoo, which was his entire life, like he made a TV show around it. He was the star of the zoo. And even though he's still kind of the face of it, he's like, oh, what do I do with myself? So he decides he's going to run for president in 2016 as an independent, which now might seem like, okay, sure, Joe. But you have to remember that he has this internet TV show with millions of people who watch it. And... His like campaign videos are the kind of things that like comedy news, late night TV live for. So John Oliver actually played one of Joe Exotic's campaign videos on his show and then said, and this is a quote from the um, next or last week tonight with John Oliver, Joe is truly the candidate you want to have a beer with and then another beer with, and then another beer, and then several more beers until you're drunk enough to try meth for the first time. So even though everyone was making fun of him, Joe kind of got an inflated sense of celebrity and just was like, I am running for president. Another thing Joe really liked to do was carry guns around, threaten trespassers and members of PETA with like, I'll shoot you, threatening the local sheriff. This, I am like, the president, sheriff, executioner, you mess with me and this will be like a, another Waco type stuff. So Whoa. on his daily trip to the ammo section at Walmart, he becomes friendly with manager Joshua Dial. And Joshua will eventually become Joe's campaign manager because Josh is actually super smart, very much a libertarian and like anti-big government, has a lot of ideas. 
And so he agrees to work with him and he describes the experience of working with Joe as the most horrible experience of his entire life, <laughs> which I just love. He's like, I thought this was like the dream of a lifetime. Like I'm going to go from being the ammo section manager of a Walmart to like a presidential candidate campaign manager. But it was Joe exotic, you guys. Oh my God. So it turns out that this presidential bid was pretty much just a publicity stunt. Um, but he had gotten, you know, national coverage on late night TV. And he really felt like it was building like traction for the zoo. And so he decided when his bid for president fell through that he instead, he couldn't possibly wait four more years to try to run for president again, that he was going to run for the governor of Oklahoma as a libertarian. So just an example of kind of how Joe ran his campaign. He didn't shake hands or kiss babies, but he sure as hell handed out condoms with his face on it. <laughs> and he was just the man of the fucking people. Like people like legitimately found him, I think, entertaining. They found him refreshingly honest. He was vulgar. He was, he was himself. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of worked for him. Like he was in this race. Another big thing that was going on at the time was Carol was bringing her Big Cat Public Safety Act to Congress, which was going to put into law that no one could own a large cat as a pet, and that would also restrict the ability to like breed and sell big cats. And obviously, Joe was vehemently opposed and that was a big part of his, his gubernatorial, is that what you said? <laughs> gubernatorial platform. So another thing that's going on while he's in this, you know, in it to win it race for governor is as Jeff has taken over the park and brought in, you know, his own people and fired a lot of Joes, Joe is becoming increasingly paranoid yeah. that like shit's not right. In fact, he hates Alan that I mentioned before, Alan Glover, so much because he is convinced that Jeff Lowe only brought him in to basically be a spy and report back on what was going on at the park in regards to Joe to Jeff. And one of the biggest examples of where he started to get paranoid that people were conspiring against him is while he was filming a campaign spot, one of Joe's cats grabbed him by the foot, like was sniffing around his foot and then just grabbed onto it and actually like started to drag Joe around the pen where he was in and Joe was like hitting the cat with a club. I mean, all things that I hated to see screaming, shooting guns, luckily not shooting the cat, like shooting guns, trying to get this cat to let go of him. And he was convinced that either Jeff Lowe or Carol Baskin or some of these people who were out to get him had actually put some kind of like cologne or some essence of something on his shoe to make the cat grab him because not one person. And I think this is telling you guys, not that that happened, but not one person, when this cat grabbed him, they're like, tried to help him. Not, not the cameraman, not anyone standing around, not any member of like the zoo staff. They just let it happen. They were like, uh, I'm not getting in there with that fucking cat trying to eat you. <laughs> so, um, hold on, sorry, I lost my place. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, okay. So, Joe, at this point in time, Joe's relationship with his husbands, John and Travis, had kind of started to unravel. Once Joe lost the zoo, things really, yes, he was on this like political trajectory in his mind, but things were really unraveling, not only with the zoo, but like with 
the entire community from the zoo. So um, his relationships with his husbands, John and Travis, were really kind of falling apart. Um, Joe was, I'm just gonna say it, he was a sexual predator, much like Doc Antel. He would meet these 19-year-old boys. He was like in his 40s and older, and they clearly had uh, drug issues. They um, had no family, nowhere to go. And he would use drugs and a sense of security as a way to get his hooks in them and kind of keep them with him. And so the drug of choice for both John and Travis was meth. But here's the, here's the kicker. Neither John or Travis was actually gay. And they would openly tell people that. In fact, they both openly slept with several of the female employees at the zoo. Eventually, John Finley actually ends up leaving Joe for Amber, who was the zoo's receptionist, after they got pregnant. And they are still together and have a child. And Joe was all like, well, you know, what really hurts me is that it was a woman because I can't compete with that. Because if it was a man, I'd be like, I'll blow him up, you know, as you do. <laughs> so now that basically leaves poor Travis as the sole companion. Now it's, mm. not, a, it's not just, it's not the three of them taking turns, dealing with cuckoo bananas, you know, Father Joe over there. So Travis's drug problem really starts uh, spiraling out of control and it becomes really obvious to everybody around them that Joe is really, really kind of leaning in on the meth as a means to keep Travis from leaving him. But Travis is increasingly agitated. He feels like a prisoner at the zoo. He's never allowed to leave. He's really got no freedom. All he has going for him, the only thing that like makes him happy is that Joe does buy him like four wheelers and guns and all of the weed and meth that he could ever want. So, and I think what is maybe the saddest moment of this entire documentary, and there are so many sad moments, but on September 8th of 2017, Travis comes into the GW Zoo office where Joshua Dial, the campaign manager, is working. And he starts complaining about all of those things, about how he's not allowed to leave, about how he doesn't have enough weed. In the meantime, he's also messing around with this new gun that he got, like pointing it at Josh. And Josh is like, hey man, like don't do that. You know, he would be like, freeze, motherfucker, when he'd jump in. And he was a very like playful, really lovely, lively spirit that everybody really liked, but um, also very troubled. And Josh is finally like, don't point that at stuff. You should not be messing around with the gun. And Travis says, to Josh. This is a Ruger, man. You know a Ruger won't fire without a clip. And he put the gun to his head and he was like, see? And he pulled the trigger and the gun went off and he dies. I mean, it is the craziest footage because they, you know, it's, it's from a security camera that we see Josh's, we see Josh, but we don't see the shooting. But right, we but see you, Josh's reaction and I'm you like, know, yeah. you know, immediately as he's telling the story, as they're showing this security footage, the look, the way he jumps and immediately covers his mouth. And it's like in the flash of light, like, you know, mm. immediately what has happened. Yeah. And so there's a lot of question back and forth about whether or not this was a suicide. Um, Joshua Dial, who was the, the lone witness to this, says that he is confident that it was just a tragic accident because the look on Travis's face in the instant that it happened was one of abject terror and surprise. And 
It's horrible. Yeah. And Joe is completely devastated by this. When Jeff Lowe tries to come back to the zoo, obviously there are like paramedics and cops everywhere. Joe is collapsed on the porch, like keening, you know, and losing his mind. But as people will say over and over again about Joe, you know, he's, he's this character, right? Mm. And so no one ever really seems to think anything he's doing is all that real. So I think a perfect example of this is that they then show um, footage from Travis's funeral where Joe does manage to make it all about him and then make several off-color jokes about Travis, like putting his balls in his face to get his attention, sings one of his country songs live, which is when I was like, oh, that, that motherfucker <laughs> is lip syncing. There is not one part of him that is singing this song. But to me, like in, in, like, in the first moments after this horrible tragedy that we all kind of get to witness because of the security footage, Joe did seem like genuinely devastated, but then they start to interview everyone in his life and not a single person thinks any of it was real at all. They say like he must've been keeping onions in his pocket to like wipe his eyes because every, they show several scenes, you know, he makes this big old Thanksgiving dinner and has to like walk out because he's like too devastated to be going through this holiday without his love. And as there's this kind of, again, an, a secondary downward spiral with Joe after the death of Travis, Jeff Lowe, super awesome, not shady motherfucker that he is, is becoming like increasingly frustrated and annoyed by Joe and his antics. So he's like, you know what? I don't wanna be here anymore. I have this great idea. I'm going to take my wife, Lauren. We're going to move to Vegas. We're going to get this party bus and we're going to start this service where you can take our party bus from casino to casino, but there's going to be live exotic wild animals on board. Cause yeah, that sounds like a great business model, but he go, he goes ahead and does that. Yeah. I then wrote down. Also, we learned that Joe has a Prince Albert. <laughs> Oh God, that's so, I mean, yeah. listen, no, I have no problem with the Prince Albert or whatever, but the way we find out is we're in his disgusting bedroom that I'm just so grossed out. Like everything's brown and black and just like barfy. And then there's yeah. these locks on the wall and he's like, yeah, sometimes I lock my penis to those. I'm just like. What? It's so bizarre because we I don't go to judge, see, but, like, yeah. eh, judge away. I think we're all meant to judge a little. Um, but it's so bizarre because we've been watching him mourn, whether or not you think it's real or not. We've been watching him mourn. And then all of a sudden it's like Joe laughing about his Prince Albert as we find out he is getting ready to go on a date. So Joe met Dylan in a chat room and it took him several days to convince him to go to dinner with him. But he says that once they went to dinner, Dylan never went home. And two months after Travis died, Joe marries Dylan. And here's something that I found so heartbreaking. So he had invited Travis's mom, who I thought was a lovely character who said that, you know, she never really understood why her son was with Joe. Joe was a year older than her. He wasn't gay. He didn't get it. But if he was happy, then she was okay with it. She wanted her son to be happy, but mm -hmm. that she had increasingly become aware that Joe was really like, everything was a, a chance to gain exposure and publicity. Mm -hmm. So he actually invited her to his and Dylan's wedding. They posed, there was literally nobody in attendance, but the person who married them, Joe, Dylan, I think one member of Dylan's family and Travis's mom. And they took some pictures. That's sad posted it on social media so that Joe could basically say like, look, Travis's mom supports my new marriage to this, by the way, 19 year old boy. 
And Travis's mom has never heard from Joe since that wedding day. So he used her to try to make yeah. it look like she was supporting him. Gross. So Joe seemed to be doing much better because as his co- cohorts in zoo life would put it, he, he really didn't really care about the zoo anymore. And even his like political aspirations were, they seemed to dampen. What he really wanted was a companion. So then once Dylan came into the picture, he, his pet, the pep in his step was right back where he left it. But then Joe loses the election for governor of Oklahoma. How did that happen? (laughs) I know. Shocking. He does get 19% of the vote, which is, that's not nothing. Yeah. So after losing Joe, all of the many people that we've talked about, so you've got Jeff, you've got Rink, you've got Eric Cowie, you've got um, Sass, or is it Sass? Saf. Saf, sorry, Saf. And all of these people saying, like, it really seemed apparent that he had lost his way. Um, And the zoo suffers greatly for it. Because as we mentioned, Jeff Lowe is off in Vegas doing his party bus thing. And it costs $60,000 a month to feed the tigers. Yeah. And it is, it is clear that Joe's priorities are not the animals, is not the zoo. And just as the zoo kind of starts to fall apart, Joe, who had already been predispositioned to like being paranoid and concerned that, you know, the Carol Baskins of the world were out to ruin him and his reputation, he just becomes increasingly more paranoid. But you know that old saying, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. Because... Shortly after he loses the election, Joe and Joshua Dial, his former campaign manager, they find a hidden listening device on the roof of the zoo gift shop. So it turned out that Joe had every right to be paranoid because Jeff Lowe has been talking to the FBI about Joe Exotic. End episode six. It's really oh, crazy. Five. Episode five. Sorry. That's right. So we, we welcome into uh, episode six, which is called The Noble Thing to Do. And we open uh, with the Grady County Jail and we hear Joe speaking. So at this point, we know Joe has gone to jail or mate or something. So we hear his voice over like a phone call with the, the jail. Um, Joe has realized Jeff was a predator. And so Joe locks him out of the bank accounts. And Jeff finds out, or sorry, what is it? Jeff finds out, this is how this happened. Jeff finds out the feds were investigating Joe, but didn't know from what. Um, so what happened was Jeff goes to jail because he was at his house. They found cats illegally. So he goes to jail. The judge says, okay, I'm going to let you go. If you get in trouble, if you can stay clean for one year, great. But if you get in trouble at all, you're going straight to county. Like, that's it. Um, so Jeff is now stressed a little bit about that, does not want to get in trouble, and finds out that once he goes to the banks and figures it all out, that Joe was using, um, basically embezzling money from the zoo for his campaign, which is super fucking illegal. Um so Joe gets kicked off the park and he sets fire to all the files and laptops because he didn't want any proof of embezzlement and using money, the money from the zoo to run for governor. His staff thinks that Jeff is the bad guy taking over, but he was trying to save his ass basically. I mean, that's kind of how I saw I'm sure. Yes, he's a bad guy, but like he was really heightened to not get in trouble again also. 
Um, and then they we hear another song of Joe's. So this is goodbye, my last farewell. All of my fans, you my Now Joe is off the park, and he says, "There was a lot of threats rolling around. I just didn't. I just wanted to get away." And with tears, he says, I'm done. I'm done. So the, whoever's behind the camera asks, so who do you think is all, who's the winner in all this? And Joe says, the animal rights people, because they'll eventually be the ones to get the park. They'll have the money to buy the land. But the truth is, Jeff Lowe owned the zoo, but Joe was thinking he could transfer the name. So yeah, he was thinking he'd transfer the name like he'd done a million times to people. But this guy was like, fuck you, it's my zoo, you know? And he helped right, him out. It's not in your name anymore. So the workers were told to say that Joe retired and they burned anything with his image on it, including the condoms. <laughs> now we get to the part all about the hit. The bitch still lives another day. Did Joe try to hire someone to kill Carol Baskin? James Gerritsen said, and we remember James, right, from episode five, I guess. Who, when because, Jeff Lowe takes over. Yeah, yeah when Jeff Lowe takes over. open the pizza. That's right. So J James Garrison said he was there when there was a discussion for murder for hire. Joe said someone could, sh someone should shoot that bitch while she's riding her bike. And because he shows like a video of her riding her bike and doing her cute little posts. Jeff Lowe then pulls up Google Earth and finds the bike trail that she rides on. And then Joe goes and talks to Alan Glover, Jeff's handyman for the hit. Then idiot Joe posts on Facebook a, a picture of Carol's property from Google Earth and says, I finally found out where the bitch lives. I mean, are you kidding me? Now, Jeff. So smart. Yeah. I mean, Jeff thinks he's a liability and he just wants the headache to go away. This is what they say, you know. Jeff decides he wants to get out of the zoo. So he asks James to call Carol and tell her for half a million dollars he would give her all the dirt on Joe. Jeff is paying James to be the middleman. $100,000, which does not make sense to me, but okay. So he calls. She doesn't pick up, and then he texts, if you want information against Joe, call me back. They don't answer, but they send it straight to the FBI. Then the U.S. Game and Wildlife call James and see if he wants to be a confidential informant, and he agrees. And they have this, there's this whole thing about him having an illegal lemur or something like that, and that's why he did it. But apparently the guy, like he's, the guy sold Ranky a stolen Hummer. He had some scam with credit cards and shit like that. This guy was a real... P-O-S. And I feel bad. I don't want to make fun of him, but there is a funny comment where they're like, he's a fat Chucky. Like, <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny because I was asking my husband when I made him rewatch the finale with me. I was like, would it be horrible to refer to James as like a 50-year-old Chucky doll? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, but you know, he the hair is crazy. I'm like, wow, maybe he's just proud that he has hair. So he's like, I'm going to keep it long. I don't know. Ginger, but Ginger pride. Keep going. Listen, I think, I mean, I love redheads. I love but, a good redhead. He does have nice is, hair. But yeah, so maybe that's why he kept it. That makes sense, right? Everything else about him is kind of like Homer Simpson-y. Um, okay, so then James tells the FBI that there is a credible threat where Joe has hired Alan to kill her. Um, then Alan Glover disappears. And eventually James makes contact with Alan Glover and he texts, Alan Glover texts him, things change, going back home, tired of the shit. And Alan says, uh, apparently I chickened the fuck out and started partying. 
So that was dead. So he was apparently like supposed to go kill Carol and he ends up in a different state just doing cocaine and drinking as you do when you're hired to hit, hit, kill someone. Okay. Then they had a special agent go undercover the hitman because what the FBI needed was money changing hands to, cause they wanted Joe. They wanted him. Joe and the hitman, they meet, they make a deal, but no money is ever exchanged. And the same time the FBI were waiting on Joe to give them, give them anything. But Joe's hilariously cheap about everything. So Jeff was dealing with his troubles in Vegas. The judge said, right, stay out of trouble for a year. So James was honest with Jeff Lowe about him being an informant, which I think is, I'm like, what? So Jeff then told James, Joe paid Alan to kill Carol. Jeff calls Alan. Alan asks if he can get immunity if he tells him the truth. And Jeff says, no, but you will be in a better position if you do help. So apparently Joe gave him $3,000 and a burner phone with photos of Carol on it. He was supposed to give Alan $5,000, but he's a cheap bastard and just gave him three. (laughs) So sorry, the FBI finally tracks Joe down by his cell phone and cell phone towers. And then he's taken into custody after they realized that money was spent. Joe claims he was framed and that there are three felons who want this zoo. And then now they're building a new zoo. So Jeff Lowe is like, I got to get out of this fucking Oklahoma. I got to be somewhere else. And James says, you know, you should go buy that a casino in a, near the Texas border. So the next, uh, the ending of this episode is him going to build a new land for him and the Tigers. And didn't Joe also like try to fake that he was in Belize with his new husband by like posting oh, yeah. on Facebook yeah. and keeping like exactly. hashtag Belize life and oh my like God, all totally. this stuff. But the FBI was like cell phone records and coordinates and GPS yeah. and Google Maps. So totally. I just then, thought was so classic Joe Exotic. Oh, yes. He's like just pretending. And yeah, James is like, those are Florida waters. That's a panhandle or whatever. <laughs> Chucky knows. <laughs> Chucky does know. So now we're going to move into the, well, the, the original finale. As we mentioned earlier, there was a bonus out that came out just yesterday. But episode seven, episode seven is called Dethroned. And we start in Thackerville, Oklahoma, which is on the border of Texas, where we meet Tim Stark who has become partners with Jeff Lowe to reopen a brand new GW Zoo. And Tim, he's a monkey guy. So I just want to refer back to episode one. Right. The monkey people are a little bit different. They're kind of strange. But the big cat people are backstabbing pieces of shit. (laughs) That was on point. Okay, so the actual murder for hire case against Joe Exotic is incredibly flimsy. One, You've got the fact that Jeff Lowe himself pulled up Google map stuff of Carol's home. It was his idea to attack her on her bike path when she was riding her bike, you know, just around her cat sanctuary all day, every day. And so the feds decide to try to find and that he had committed against the cats to add charges. Because if there's anything that gets people riled up, it's cruelty against animals. Yeah. And that is a hundred percent true. Like, I can watch the most horrific true crime stuff. I cannot watch cruelty against animals. Anytime an ASPCA commercial comes on, I burst into tears and I have to leave the room or change the channel. I mean, just fuck you, Sarah McLaughlin. (laughs) How 
fucking dare you. So sad. So sad. Like, why? I will just give you all my money if you'll stop putting those commercials out. Yeah. Because they're just, it's just the worst thing to ever witness. And it's also exploitative in its own way. I'm just saying. Yeah. But anyway, Jeff Lowe kind of gets the other GW Zoo, like former employees that worked at the original park to kind of flip on Joe. And they say that they know for a fact that he put down five tigers because they were like too old or were like they were just costing him too much money to feed and so he had like shot them and then buried them in secret and the what did you say the wildlife and gaming commission gets involved Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they they get permission from jeff lowe to go and tear up the original gw zoo where they do find the skeletal remains including the skulls of five tigers which prove that it's not a lie that he that wasn't a lie he did murder some of his cats so what the fbi does is when they indict joe they file 19 charges against him so charges one and two are related to the murder for hire plot just charges one and two out of 19 (laughs) but because it was so flimsy and they were like we need to really like amp this up and people's emotions will run high when it comes to animal cruelty so charges three through seven were for the shooting like the the murdering of five tigers and charges eight through 19 had to do with the sale of um tiger and lion cubs so somewhere in the middle of all of this jeff Lowe and james um chucky sorry james <laughs> you have beautiful hair but i'm just gonna call you chucky they have basically a falling out he gets pushed out of being involved with the new GW Zoo in any way. James kind of threatens Jeff and he says, you would have been indicted by the FBI if it wasn't for me. And they kind of go their separate ways. But James fully tells the FBI that Jeff Lowe helped orchestrate the hit on Carol. And the idea that Joe would hire Alan Glover to kill Carol. Because if you remember, Alan Glover was the guy that Joe was convinced was a spy Right. Placed in the zoo by Jeff Lowe to report back to him on the goings on, and that he would hire that guy as his hitman. Like, Joe was a little bit of a brainwash, but <laughs> come on. Now we get to the trial. Everyone testifies. Everyone we have met on this crazy ride testifies. So Joshua, and I wrote down, Joshua, fuck the feds dial, was like, okay, well, I mean, I hate the federal government, I hate the FBI, but. If it's, you know, team going down or team feds, I guess I'll testify. This guy maybe is the only one with a brain in this entire thing. Eric Cowley, who was the main zookeeper, if you'll remember, testifies against Joe. And then we see him wearing a baby blue tiger print shirt, crying while he shows us pictures of him walking lions and tigers. And then he snuggles up with a, a, a fucking stuffed tiger and that's his bow out moment for the docuseries. Then Carol Baskin testifies and she says, well, you know what? It would be worth it if someone tried to kill me and succeeded because it would, me- it would move my cause forward. But she couldn't seem less genuine if she tried. John Finley, the former husband who left him member for Amber, the zoo, keep- the zoo receptionist, and they now have a whole life together. Mm-hmm. He testifies against Joe, not just about the animal cruelty, but also about the murder for hire, saying that Joe told him to go to Texas to get a fake ID for Alan to purchase a gun for the hit. I don't know. Maybe that happened. Maybe he was just like, fuck you for keeping me messed up on meth for 10, 13 years and wow. making me be your husband. 
So then James Garrett, Garrettson, who was an informant, testifies. But he also, because he's pissed at Jeff because of what happened and getting pushed out of the business, he fully testifies that Jeff Lowe helped plan the hit on Carol by, like I mentioned before, providing the maps of her house and suggesting they kill her on the bike path. And then I wrote in all caps, how the fuck is Jeff Lowe not facing any charges? Right. So then we cut to Alan Glover taking a bath, which is weird <laughs> right. for me because I was like, I don't understand how we got here. But Alan is taking a bath, talking to everybody about how he never went to Florida and that he would never kill anyone, but he really can't remember anything. So he assumes that while he was in a blackout, drunken coke fueled binge she totally just chickened out and decided not to to kill carol then joe against the advice of his attorneys testifies saying of course he does of course he does but saying many things but one of the things that he says because one of the big things is that he paid um alan what was his first name i can't even remember uh whatever alan the bathtub the bathtub creep pays him $3,000. That's how they got him, right? So Joe testifies that on that Thanksgiving Day dinner that he had made for his entire community that I mentioned before, he had collected in donations $3,000, which on Jeff's orders, he was to give to Alan so that Alan could relocate to South Carolina because Joe had told Jeff, I can't work with him anymore. It's him or me. We got to get him out of here. I'm not doing this. And so he's saying, I, that's what the money was for. I never asked him to kill anybody. Doc Antle, remember that creepy sex cult guy? I do, I'll never he's forget. He's like, what a, f- I know, he's like, what a fucking dumb, 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 dumb dodo bird situation this is. You can't hire a hitman for $3,000. You can't hire a hitman for $30,000. I would think it'd be at least $100,000. What? Uh-huh. And then also, Joshua Dial both say on the documentary, I don't know if they said it in court. So Doc Antle and Joshua Dial both say that they believe that Jeff Lowe set Joe up and that Joe actually never, ever put out a hit on Carol. But the prosecution in this case, all they have to do is show the jury, show the jury of videos that Joe posted saying that he wanted Carol Baskin dead, showing him putting rattlesnakes in her mailbox, showing him blowing up mannequins dressed up like her. I mean, he devoted his entire online presence to being like, let's put this bitch down. Yeah. And um, that was pretty telling. And then her closing argument, the prosecutors was, it is your job now to make sure that nobody, not even the Tiger King is above the law. And after only four hours, the jury found Joe guilty on all 19 counts. And he was sentenced to 22 years in jail. So then John uh, Rinky, remember Rank with the, the two fake legs? He was the only... GW Zoo employee. Staff, we don't know. They don't show um, them testifying. And I don't know if they did, but you don't see that. It just doesn't come up. But he is the only person that stands by Joe. He even offered to testify on his behalf, but they declined. The defense declined to use him. So after the conviction, here's how we kind of slow roll out of this crazy docuseries. Carol and Howard celebrate Joe's conviction with a champagne and brie evening, as Howard puts it, he saves these little bottles of champagne for special occasions, and this is one of them. Oh my and god! And he awkwardly serenades Carol with like 
could I leave you? No, 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 something like that. And then they show a photo from their wedding day where she's wearing a wedding dress and he's on a leash dressed as a cat. Just putting that out there. <laughs> then, then we move over to Jeff Lowe, who is celebrating with his wife, who is about to be induced the following week to give birth to their baby. And he's super stoked because that means that she can get back to the gym. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. What a dick. They say they're going to hire a nanny, but he gets to pick and he wants a a super hot nanny. And man, did he give himself a super hot nanny. Like super hot, you guys. James, Chucky, so sorry, uh, then is interviewed. He says he thinks that it is just a matter of time before Jeff Lowe is arrested. And then he rides off into the sunset on a jet ski. Oh, my God. strange. Like a tiny jet but, ski at a large man. Poor guy. But it's just so weird. You're like, wait, what? So that's why you know the waters of the Gulf so well. You like to jet ski around. <laughs> and then we go back to John um, Rinky, Ranky, Rink, Rink is what he goes by. And he says that he personally called the feds about Jeff Lowe and James Garrettman. And he said that the feds told him that when it comes to those two, it is far from over. Joe, after he is convicted has his new husband, Dylan, go get all of the hard drives, files, and all these things that he had like kept hidden in a shed and has him turn them over to the head lawyer of PETA. And Joe agrees to testify against everyone. Like he's like, if I'm going down, I'm burning this whole shit down with me. So he basically, there's 30 different like big cat traffickers, sellers, seller of cubs, euthanizers of cubs. And he says that he will, um, he will testify against them. So meanwhile, Tim, I believe it is Stark, mm-hmm. and he called himself Jeff's little bitch in that beginning of this episode. So Tim, Jeff's little bitch Stark, and Jeff Lowe have a huge falling out over the building of the new zoo. Mm-hmm. And it's huge. Jeff Lowe makes this funny comment. He's like, it's weird. I always start out real great with people and then everything just always goes to shit. I don't know what that's about. And you're like, mm-hmm. maybe because you're a fucking con artist. Yeah. So then Tim Stark actually goes to Joe and tells him all about like Jeff Lowe's shady shit. And then Joe goes to PETA. And then we cut back to Carol and Howard being like, as long as you win every battle, we're prepared to fight this war for as long as it takes. And they have creepy grins. They kiss awkwardly. We all kind of collectively go like, oh God, but she's going to murder you someday, dude. And then they cut to Saf, who we did not see testify. We didn't see have anything to do with the trial and haven't actually seen them in a long time. And they say, no, and they ask them like, who won this war? And they say, no one wins because not a single animal benefited from this war. Not a single one. John Finley, then we cut to John Finley, the ex-husband of Joe, who gets his property of Joe Exotic tattoo covered. And apparently his tattoo artist gets a lot of criticism online afterwards. Right. We find out that Rink, John Rinky, decides it's just time to start over from scratch. He decides to leave his wife and completely start a new chapter. They show him with this beautiful lion and all these little dachshund doggies. And he's like, they're clearly like his loves. And because he has to walk away from everything. And then I wrote down, how the fuck did that lion not eat all those wiener dogs? Yeah. <laughs> and then they, cut to, then they cut to Joshua Dial, 
the only person on the show who consistently makes sense. And then I wrote, he is the only sane person on the show. I don't even know what he said, but he said something that made sense. Then Rick Kirkman, the producer, the executive producer yeah. of Joe Exotic TV. The really is, bad like, teeth. Basically they're right with the bad teeth who used to do like inside edition and set himself on fire. So yeah. woohoo. Um, but he, they're basically doing like a, a post-mortem with everyone. So Rick Kirkman says, Joe never cared for the animals, but he made a TV show that made it look like they did. And that was the biggest sin I committed. And then we cut to a, a clip that I will say for me, I mean, maybe I'm just a sucker. But Joe is talking about the day that he gave his two chimpanzees away to a, an ape sanctuary in Florida. Right. And he has tears in his eyes. And he said, you know, I, these, two, these two animals sat next to each other in separate cages for 10 years. And now I see them and they have this huge open field and all they ever do is like wrestle and hug and touch each other. And did I deprive them of that for 10 years? And he's like wiping tears away. And he's like, I think I did. I think I was just too caught up in the idea of running a zoo. And then we go to like the, the printed stuff. And the only thing I wrote down from the print stuff, so we know Joe got 22 years in prison, um, Doc Antles, uh, right. Safari was raided. Myrtle Beach by the Safari. FBI. Yeah. Myrtle, and in December of 2019. So that's like, like not Tell that us long what ago. happened. Like right before coronavirus happened, they raided his safari. And now, Vanya, I'll let you take us into the, our bonus episode. Boner episode, guys. Okay. So in this after show, Joe McH Joel, sorry, Joel McHale gathers key players to the Tiger King saga. What is it like to be a meme? He's very funny. Um, so the first guy, we got Eric, right, with the long blonde hair. Uh, he's the he was one of the head zookeepers. Joel asks him how he's doing. He's like, living clean and loving Jesus, man. Uh, hasn't seen the Tiger King. And we're back. all like, mm. uh, I don't think so, buddy. You know me. He said his top regrets is he regrets, he, he regrets helping put the cats down. Like he didn't actually like euthanize them, but he, they trusted him. So he would lure them and that's pretty fucked up. Um, I would break did, anyone's heart. Yeah. I, it would break my heart. He said the animals had it better at the zoo than the humans, which I kind of believe in a way. I don't know. I don't know if I believe that though. Cause do you remember that scene where you just see like 60 tigers in a circle starving, running around but because food's coming? That's scary. Well, I don't think anybody had it good, but yeah. I do think there is something to be said for the fact that like the money makers of the zoo weren't the zoo keepers. They were the right. lions and, and tigers the, and bears. Yeah. But the zoo, the, um, you know, the people who, the poor people who worked at the zoo, they love the animals. Um, Eric still works there. He said it's pretty chill with Jeff and Lauren as owners. And then he wants everyone to sit, to know that, no, he does not do math. Okay. Oh, that was very important. Uh, yeah. Um, Jeff and Lauren come up next. So just side note, the zoo shut down right now during the pandemic. Jeff and Lauren believe that Carol killed her husband. That's all I kind of wrote down with them. They were kind of dumb. They, they showed a picture of the babysitter, the hot babysitter. I don't know. I just think they're silly. They're the and, worst, and he's going to prison. I can't wait to find out what happens. Um, then we got John Rank, Ranky Rank said that Joe was always belittling, belittling somebody. He quit the same day that Joe left. 
oh, and by the way, um, Joel asks, like, how are you with your lady? He's like, well, I'm not actually divorced yet because of the COVID, but I do have a girlfriend happier than I've been in a long time. He's actually kind of cute. There's something about that guy that's like, not cute, but like, oh, I'm happier, happy. Right. Uh, like if Joshua Dial was the only like intelligent person on the show, Rink was like the only genuine hearted person on the show. It seems that way. I, Although I do believe Saf is my favorite. Is the best. Yeah, Saf they are the best person on the show. Was so nice. No regrets for losing the arm. Uh, oh, one thing that they did want to mention was Saf said that um, so Joe and his family made dinner every year for people. Every year he was there for free. He felt so. So he just wanted to know. Or, um, sorry, Saf wanted people to know that he did do nice things once in a while. I don't know. And then let's see. They felt like justice was served for Joe, but. They still don't want to see him die in jail, which I think is kind of sweet of Saf. And that all the workers were more loyal to the animals than to Joel in the end. Now we got the campaign manager guy, Josh, uh, who lived at the zoo while he was there. And he thought Joe was batshit crazy and shady as far as business dealings went. And he believes that, tra- he, like, to, just to your point, he believed that Travis accidentally killed himself. He saw the surprise in his eyes for five seconds before the lights went out. How fucking sad is that? I mean, oh. Um, and then we got Finley. He seems like a nice dude, but I can't help but feel bad for him because he seemed like such a victim. Like, the, you know, and I'm sure Travis was too, but, you know, Joe found these people who needed drugs, acceptance, a home. It just makes me sad. But he does have a whole new set of teeth. He does. He does. And another interview I saw him doing, he was talking about how getting the teeth put in hurt more than getting his tattoo covered up, which your, your teeth can really hurt. Then we go to Rick, Rick Kirkham, who lives in Norway. Joel asks Rick between Joe exotic and Bill O'Reilly, who is worse? Joe, he says, Joe is more evil and Bill is more of an asshole. I'm like, wow, okay. Oh, oh, and then he tells this horrible story of, of them killing a horse. Him, not him, but Joe. Uh, Rick did not see, he didn't see him ever shoot any tires, but he, some lady came and brought this old horse that needed to be put out to pasture. Um, and she's crying and she brings him to the zoo and she's like, please just give him a good life until he dies, you know? And as soon as the lady leaves, Joe shoots the horse in the head. I mean, that's some fucked up shit. I can rotten fucking jail, Joe Exotic. If that's, that's, the, true, that's the evil. That's the evil. You take all 22 years. You deserve it. Oh, and he said that Joe was terrified of big cats. Like he put on a thing, you know, that's why he always had the guns and things around him. But like he was, he was terrified of them. I did <laughs> like that, that note where he said, you know, he acted like he was the Tiger King. He's like, which is the name I came up with for him. But in truth, whenever you would see him in those things with like that big white tiger and the other one, the white tiger was like almost at like death age and blind. And the other tiger was sedated. He was secretly actually completely terrified of them. Yeah. And Rick says he regrets ever meeting Joe exotic. He saw the potential of a cool show, but then he got sucked into the world of the park. The one good thing that could come out of this documentary that is good is that people are saying, Free the animals. And I agree. 
I totally agree. And I think it's also very, very notable that neither Carol or Howard Baskin decided to appear in this bonus episode. Well, I don't think they have any, they don't have a sense of humor. I don't know. But I also think that, you know, Carol really truly thought that she was going to come across as this like champion of cats. And instead it turns out- Mother Teresa, the mother Teresa. The mother Teresa of cats. And instead it turns out we all think she murdered her husband and is no better than any of them because she profits off of her cats in captivity. And I'm standing by my, my opinion on that. But I just thought that was funny. I'm like, oh, you won't even come on because you really didn't think you were going to come off looking like that. Yeah, absolutely. Although your, your, flower crown, your flower crown game is strong, Carol. So I'll give you that. <laughs> That's it, you folks. I love a flower crown. We d- I love it. I that know. It. That's it. We did it. We did it. I hope that wasn't five hours long, but it no. was so much fun to watch. Yeah. It was a blast. And if you still feel like, oh my God, now I have to watch, watch, because I'm sure we left out so much stuff and just for the country music videos alone it's worth watching it's worth watching for the people it is amazing we could talk about them but you don't get the full delight until you see them and hear them speak it's incredible yeah and i will just say this if we're all allowed out of our houses by halloween i'm going as fucking joe exotic (laughs) oh my god i love it i mean i think we all should or some character from this I love it. I actually feel like I have to go from go from somebody from the new Trolls movie because I have kids and um, they've got funk funk trolls and I really want to be a funk troll. So I'm gonna All stand right. by you. you. Be a funk troll, you be a funk troll, and I'll be Joe Exotic, and we will have the best <laughs> damn time because we'll be outside. Oh God, please love other people. Well, we love, we you, love guys. you guys so much. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another rom crime. Bye. Bye. Oh, mm-hmm.